Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of All Fighters Follow Me. I'm Moff Ted, he, him. And I'm Senator Faith, she, her. We have a special uh, special 10th episode this week with an extra special guest. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, My name is Brooks Flugar11. My pronouns are they, them. I am a miniatures developer for Fantasy Flight Games. All Fighters Follow Me is proud to be a member of the Armchair Adventures community. So, recently... I talked to Brooks and asked them to join us on the podcast, and after a little bit of bureaucracy, we were finally able to have you on. Yeah, well, it's good to be here, and it's good to get to talk to you. Which Armada products were you directly working with? So, I was hired in the middle of the Superstar Destroyers development, so I joined Alex Davey in finishing up the development of the Superstar Destroyer uh, back about two years ago this time, actually. Uh, and then over the following summer, I was the lead on the, developing the Sector Fleet rules, not strictly a product, but available on our website, uh, rules to play up to 1,200-point games of Armada with up to eight, eight people involved. Michael Gurness developed Rebellion on the Rim, but I assisted with some of the objectives and some of the campaign structure of that expansion. And then I was the lead developer on Wave 8, the Nadiri Starhawk and the Onager class Star Destroyer that were both just previewed at Gen Con this summer and will be coming out uh, this winter. Yeah, I'm really excited for those. Yeah, I know I first really started working with you more for Sector Fleet, and then Faith and I were both playtesting for you in Rebellion in the Rim. Mm-hmm. So that was how we kind of really got to know each other, and we had a lot of fun with it. Um, over at FFGHQ, the mysterious hidden back rooms that... <laughs> yes, many mysterious things. Anyhow. All right, so for our Fleet Command segment, you're also an Armada player. So what, I am. So what is your favorite commander? Uh, so I have two favorite commanders. I have one for the Rebels, one for the Empire. Uh, for the Rebels, it has to be Mon Mothma, hands down. Just the ability to use a lot of the Rebel small ships and have them be a little bit more durable and play them a little bit more aggressively. Uh, For the Empire, I think it's Admiral Piet. Um, He offers something that commanders don't normally offer, the ability to focus on one ship's specific activation. I think that's really interesting. Uh, It doesn't always fit into my play style, but it's a really conceptually interesting piece. That's cool. We don't really see a lot of Mon Mothma in our meta. And when you're playing Mon Mothma, what kind of ships do you like to pair with that specifically? Nebulon Bees, obviously, uh, which are my favorite rebel ship. Uh, CR-90 Corvettes as well. Um, Occasionally an Assault Frigate or an MC-30 or a Pelta. Change it up based on kind of what I want to emphasize, whether it's squadron support or kind of have something more durable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you try to get as many just small ships as possible. Yeah, the, the iconic Rebel small ship uh, grab bag. Yeah, it looks very ragtag. Um, usually no more than one Mon Calamari ship because they have a more unified aesthetic. I've painted up my ships all a little differently, so they all have they're kind of their own character. Oh, that's nice. That's fun. always fun. Yeah. We do a little bit of painting with our ships as well, and I, I really enjoy the uh, personality. It kind of gives you fleet. Mm-hmm. Either whether it's, whether it's an Imperial fleet where they're all uniform, or it's a Rebel fleet where you got a little extra color on some of them and a little extra drab on others. Uh, mm-hmm. So it sounds like you like to play Rebels a lot the same way I do, where I like to play Kraken, but with that same, like, oh, I got some Hammerheads and a CR-90 and a Nebby and a Pelta and some Flotillas and a couple random squadrons. 
and really kind of piece that together and just be all over the place. It, 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 it really feels that rebellion, like, hey, this is just a bunch of random folks that were able to grab what they could and, and go fight. Yeah, and I feel like it fits the theme a lot more. Um, I tend to grab one or two each of all four of the wing squadrons, X-Wing, Y-Wing, A-Wing, B-Wing. Okay. Uh, it provides a nice good spread. It looks great on the table. And then flavor with a couple of unique squadrons if you have the points and the, the activations for them. Sure. So how about with Imperial ships? What do you like to play? So uh, this kind of clashes with my favorite Imperial Admiral, Piet, because it's actually a similar mix of small ships, occasionally medium ships. Uh, the Arquitans light cruiser is probably my favorite Imperial ship it, because it is slightly awkward to play, but you can get a lot of effectiveness out of it, out of it when you're successful. Uh, and the titles are really interesting in how they promote the different components of your fleet working together. Um, and then for Imperials, Squadrons, again, TIE Fighters, TIE Bombers, TIE Interceptors are an interesting mix, and combined with the number of squadron activations that a fleet of small ships can provide, it's very interesting. You can do many different things over the course of a turn, whereas a fleet with a, one large ship is kind of focused on that one single activation. I've been playing TIE Fighters a lot in the last year and a half or so, and really been growing to like them, but I've been starting to experiment with mixing some TIE Bombers and maybe some TIE Interceptors, though I like thematically especially to have like my Interceptors to be Aces, because that's usually like the, the hot shots of the the flight crew on a, on a Star Destroyer. If they're giving Interceptors out, it's usually to veterans eight uh, pilots. It is hard to argue with the efficiency of some of the Empire's uh, best Aces, particularly Sinterfell, Darth Vader, yeah. Darth Vader is a squadron I don't see often enough, and I love playing him when I can get him on the table because he's just so punchy. Yeah. Uh, I tend to try to stay away from uniques, uh, or at least limit them, because if you are taking primarily gener generic squadrons, and if you take ships with minimal upgrades, you just take the upgrades you absolutely need for the list's idea, you can fit a lot more content in there than most people expect, and... A Gazandi pushing two or three TIE Bombers with boosted comms or expanded hangar bay is cheap, efficient anti-ship damage. It does not have to work with the rest of your fleet if it doesn't want to. And so I like having, for both Rebels and Imperials, having fleets that are doing a lot of different things from different angles, and it might not seem like much on any one activation, but it all adds up in a way that players often don't expect it to. Sure, that sounds interesting. I know that you and I haven't played a game. You and Faith played a game a couple of months back. Oh yeah. At some point, so. I think we were both playing Rebels. Yeah, I think time. I had. I think I was running my mom off my Pelta at the time. Yeah. Yes. And you had the Pelta. the Moncal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Moncal. So finishing up our uh, fleet command. As a designer, you've gotten to really go deep into how this all works. What are the iterations that you go through when you introduce a new ship for the game? Uh, so the first thing we'll do is create a visioning document and kind of come up with our concepts for what the product is going to look like in terms of uh, miniature paint scheme, what kind of things we want the ship to add to the game line of products and the game experience of play. 
And so that is primarily the developers talking about the gameplay experience, but it will be some of the uh, more creative direction people also talking about what aesthetically will look good, will complement the existing products in the line. And once we've kind of come to a conclusion about that, I will start designing the rough stats of the ship, uh, moving into development, while other departments will start working on all the other parts that make the, the combined product. Okay. So going into, like, you'll have one crew that's actually designing the model, one crew is doing more of the artwork for the ship or the upgrade cards with it, and then you're working on, you know, how many dice does it have in each battery, what are its shields like, all values, and trying to balance that out as far as the play style is. Yeah. So the first uh, fairly large chunk of development is just, it's actually a lot of writing. It's very little uh, playing because we don't have the stats for the ship yet even. Uh, the first thing that has to be done is we make sure we know all the things we're going to put in this product and we commission art for them. We uh, ask LFL for more information about whatever characters or equipment we're including. Uh, make sure we have art for those as well. We make sure our graphic design team is aware of any new card types we'll need in the product, any new kind of graphical treatments, and of course for our sculpting team to start actually putting together a 3D model of the ship that will eventually turn into a miniature. And then only once all of those other processes are moving do we really dig into the mechanical development of the ship as a playing piece in the game. Oh wow, so you have a, it's really front-loaded on all those other things, whereas, you know, some people might be thinking, oh, maybe the, the design of the ship and the model is a little more secondary to the rules, but it sounds like the rules start getting put into, into, onto paper more once the ship's already in the docks, I suppose you could say. Yeah, so we, we'll be thinking about, um, the, the stats we wanted to have, the relative role we wanted to fill. And we'll be doing that all throughout while we're writing the art briefs, uh, talking to graphic design, sculpting, etc. And then once those other tasks are done, we'll work more on actually creating mock-up components to test the ship with. So once testing is started, what does that look like? So the first period of testing will be focusing on the basic ship stats uh, and only the upgrades that are essential to the ship's function and identity. Uh, for example, with the Anger-class Star Destroyer uh, announced, we couldn't really test the ship without the specific upgrades that granted the ability to attack beyond long range, so those were all tested at the same time as the ship. Um, but most of the other components don't begin testing until after we're confident that the ship is on the right track. So talking about wave eight and what's upcoming what mechanic that we're working with now are you most excited for so i am most excited for the salvo defense token to see how that counterattack effect mixes up armada play so it's not just you on your turn deliver your big hit me on my turn hopefully i'm still in range to get a chance to respond and also because it's a defense token it is going to be competing with other existing defense tokens for what does the attacker spend their accuracy icons on. Other than the brace defense token, most other defense tokens just shift damage around or are fairly situational in their effect. 
So the Brace Defense token has, for the entire lifespan of the game, been the token the attacker needs to worry about, needs to focus on taking down. Uh, but with Salvo, you have a very interesting choice. Is it more important to get more damage on your opponent now or to mitigate the damage they will send back at you with Salvo? And that's going to create some interesting decisions for players to make. Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be an interesting mechanic. I'm, I'm curious to see how it is responded to when it, when it hits the tables. I am as well. And we're all really excited to play with these new Wave 8 ships that we haven't ever actually seen before in other Star Wars media. So what was the process around creating those? So this was actually a really fascinating experience and a great opportunity for us to contribute more to the Star Wars setting. Uh, when we spoke to Lucasfilm about doing these ships, they gave us access to some of the images they had, but also allowed us to expand on them and add more detail to them because we were rendering these ships in much greater detail and fidelity because we have to make a physical miniature out of them. And so I spent uh, quite a lot of time going over all sorts of reference images of various Star Wars ships and talking with one of our art directors and a concept artist to add components and add uh, to greebleify uh, the basic forms of these ships and add much more detail to them. Uh, the Starhawk, for example, is constructed out of the salvage from captured and destroyed Star Destroyers. So we went through with the concept artist and added, uh, you'll notice many of the engine nacelles are Star Destroyer engines that have been reconfigured in various ways. Uh, the general profile of some of the hull plates uh, are drawn from the superstructure of an Imperial-class Star Destroyer. The turrets are Imperial II-class turrets uh, mounted and various other aspects to kind of tie together this angular Imperial uniform aesthetic with a rougher Rebel aesthetic that is sort of starting to be smoothed over as they transition towards a formal government in the New Republic. That's a really cool adaptation. I remember noticing, I read the Aftermath book, so I knew about the Starhawks being like, oh, they're largely cannibalized Star Destroyers, and seeing those Star Destroyer elements when the first pictures came out was really was really cool. Yeah, that was something that was really important to kind of draw those visual cues that immediately make you think of Imperial ships, even though it is a Rebel faction ship. Yeah, and I know that there's... Eventually, I believe there's a little crossover with it. I don't. I feel like in the new stories and the new media, the New Republic has been a lot less of oh hey we're just flying captured star destroyers. Wherein you get like the classic like X-wing series books and things like that, where it's hey we're just flying around stolen star destroyers all the time. Whereas now they've done a little more imaging. There, with there it. were so many uh, star destroyers with rebel starbirds painted on their flanks and all the you. Yeah. Um, no, now they're doing a lot more. They're by quickening the disarmament of the New Republic compared to the expanded universe, the Legend stories. Um, it's created this a different environment to tell stories in. Yeah. Uh, where it's not as much about these big military campaigns from the X-wing novels and tales of the New Republic and stuff, and it's more about. Well, we'll find out what yeah. it's about. There's a few, um, there's there's a few stories that deal with it that are really solid. Yeah, the 
Um, Bloodlines is absolutely fantastic. Uh, oh, yeah. Very interesting. What does the politics of the New Republic look mm-hmm. like? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, f- I feel like they, well, and Mon Mothma has a very big role in that as far as the demilitarization yes. of the New Republic. She is one of my favorite characters uh, because she is so conflicted in all, throughout all three eras of Star Wars. She's trying to struggle to first preserve the Republic and then restore it during the Rebellion and then uh, maintain that restoration and keep the peace in a new republic when some issues haven't been settled yet. The, yeah. the Empire is still out there. It turns out that the Empire was a very large organization, so it takes a while to get that all... Larger than anybody thought, given yeah. what we've seen from the trailers of oh, right. uh, yeah. The Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. I need to really uh, dig into I look more. forward to seeing what happens with all those Star Destroyers floating out in the darkness of space. Speaking of all those Star Destroyers, though, so we have the Onager as well as the Starhawk. Uh, yes, so the Onager is an interesting look at sort of the beginning of the Rebellion era where the Empire is developing advanced weapons in secret. The Rebellion is trying to figure out what's going on, but doesn't have great leads. Um, the source for the Onager, by the way, is the Rebel Files source book, which is an in-universe source book. It's yeah. annotated by Luke Skywalker, Admiral Akbar, Mon Mothma, Leia Organa, Han Solo. Um, it's a very entertaining read. I might have to look up that one and kind of go see how that goes. And the the design of it, I really like how they took a, a very... They got that kind of Star Destroyer... Uh, wedge shape, but then you got that crossbar on the front. Kind of like a hammerhead shark. I actually think it kind of looks like a crossbow or like an old like arbalest or something like that. It looks like a an artillery piece that was... It does, and that's, and that's uh, why it's named as it is. I actually had the opportunity to propose a name to Lucasfilm for this ship. And so in the following the pattern of many of the late Republic, early Imperial vessels being named with Roman themes and this being a literal artillery piece in the game, I proposed Onager, which is a Roman catapult design. That's really exciting. And I know that you really enjoy your historical... I do. Historicals. We've done some uh, some naval war game. And so, yeah, in addition to science fiction, obviously, um, I'm big into historical war gaming and there's a lot of parallels between it is all we're all playing the games on the table obviously but also so much of star wars is drawn from uh what inspired george lucas at the time uh, footage of naval and aircraft battles from world war ii uh, ideas about the vietnam war that informed his concepts of the empire versus the rebellion uh so it's it all does come together it all is applicable even yeah. if it doesn't seem so at first right it's always interesting seeing those repeating themes in the Star Wars movies, especially after like you take a history class and you're like, oh wait, this rings a bell all of a sudden. And it's very interesting to see how the the themes change as each each trilogy is kind of more focused on what is happening in that era in real life that people are processing. Yeah, absolutely. You got like the prequels in the original series were very different, and then we have the the sequels sequels they're what they're called yes sequels are also got their own very different feel so so we got the energy we got the starhawk coming out this winter i know i'm really excited to get those on the table i am as well i am excited to get the miniatures in my hands the the starhawk is an absolute beast of a ship 
Yeah. And I'm it's, quite pleased with how it's come out. I mean, we, we might finally get a ship in Armada that you can legitimately bludgeon your opponent into submission with. If, I do if, not uh, recommend doing this, <laughs> uh, but it is quite an imposing piece. Uh, yep. Well, and Armada doesn't have pewter miniatures like some other games have in the past. It makes it a little different. Yeah. Not that I'm condoning violence against your fellow gamers <laughs> or people that you play against. So before we actually get these cool new ships, we will be getting Rebellion in the Rim. So what do we have to look forward to? You have a lot to look forward to in Rebellion in the Rim. Um, obviously, some folks have their pre-release copies from Gen Con already, so I'm sure you know basically everything that's in there if you're already listening to this podcast. Uh, but we've got a number of new squadrons for both the Rebel and the Empire, uh, unique squadron cards for the miniatures from the Rogues and Villains expansion pack. There are a number of upgrade cards, that many of which are tailored towards ships from the first and second waves of the game, giving them new opportunities to interact with new game mechanics that... Some of them weren't even around when those ships were originally developed uh, and kind of giving them a new angle and very much altering their style of play, which I think is really important. Yeah, I know like you get like we've had whole new upgrade types that have come out since wave two. You know, we got the support, fleet support and fleet commands that have come out. And so we're getting ways that those can be interacted with in new ways that I think are really interesting. Um, and just that those new as well as the campaign itself which I really am looking forward to getting around to running some of the campaign. We never, we never actually did a, a Corellian Conflict. It was just sort of a, like the time commitment of those like, full-size games, whereas I think the, mm -hmm. the smaller, more bite-sized uh, games for Rebellion in the Rim are going to be a little easier to approach as far as, like, hey, can we get together on a Thursday, get a campaign session rolled out, and the... Uh, the minutia of the bookkeeping of it, I think, is a little more streamlined as well. Yep. At the beginning of the project, Michael and I spent a lot of time talking about how to make the experience of playing the campaign more accessible and if we could change anything about the mechanics from Curling Conflict to make it that way. So much of the bookkeeping of resource points and fleet points has been removed. Now you're just tracking what new upgrade cards did you get this time? Mm -hmm. uh, most of the campaign effects from planets are on either tokens or actual cards that you can just put with your fleet for your next game. And uh, overall, that reduction in complexity from some of the more uh, math-oriented elements of the Karelian Conflict allowed more room for some new ideas about how area control matters and how movement on the campaign map actually affects the individual games you play. Because ultimately these campaigns are still generating tabletop games that are interesting and engaging experiences, and that is their primary focus. Well, and I think the new objectives for it, like the specific campaign objectives, really give some interesting story elements to it as well. I haven't really dug into them too much with what's been posted by our, our Gen Con previews, but I know a couple of them I read through look, look like they're really going to be interesting. Yeah. Especially the Purgles. I am most excited for Purgles. We, we had a lot of fun uh, coming up with different, different ideas of ways to make those campaign objectives more engaging. 
uh, Michael was very determined to try and work Pergil in, and fitting them in with some other more exotic space phenomena was a very interesting way to take it and kind of change up a lot of what you'd normally expect out of a game of Armada. Um, and he also worked with some of our coworkers in the RPG department to kind of draw on some ideas for some more story-oriented missions that were less about just inflicting damage on the other side. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of games that I play, the, like, the obstacles on the board just seem like they're just kind of there. They're not really as integral a part of the game to me. They're just, oh, it's just in the way. I just got to get around this. Yeah, and the Rebellion and the Rim obstacles are very dynamic, and I think that adds a, mm-hmm. a lot of interest to it. Some of the objectives, you are fighting against the new obstacles as much as you are your opponent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, uh, I think, will be a very refreshing change for for some of the state of the game, and just really adding new things that are exciting to it. Yes. Which is, I believe, the point. <laughs> I would think so. So, yeah, I know that I'm excited for the gravity rift effects. As an interdictor player, having more <laughs> insane gravity things happening and more dynamicism to the way the obstacles move, I always love playing, uh, I'm trying to think, is it navigational hazards, the one that... Yes, navigational yeah, okay. hazards. Where the, the obstacles move. move every round. I love that objective. I don't put it in like you know a list I'm going to take to a tournament necessarily just because of the time commitment of moving obstacles as well as ships and squadrons and just how zany it is. But if I'm playing a, a pickup game, I will throw that in my objective stack and I might drop my points a little bit to try to get for second player and see if I can force my opponents into that. Um, it, overall, one of the things I've been trying to focus on with Armada is what can be added to the game that changes the way people play. And so Michael and I had some very good discussions about what sort of different ways you can interact with obstacles. So many of the uh, objectives in the Rebellion in the Rim involve interacting with the obstacles themselves and not just objective tokens. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then with Wave 8, having two ships that kind of fundamentally are different from everything else and how they interact with other ships and with the board state, with the Onager being able to attack from beyond long range. Yeah, just that sheer dynamic change in the, the range bands, because as having played other games where, you know, the ranges might be very different, Armada, like the, the range ruler is, I think, a foot? Total, approximately. Approximately, um, or somewhere in there, and that is not a long, long distance when you've got a board size the way that you do, but having a significantly longer attack range than that is going to really mix things up for a lot of lists and a lot of people. It will, and it certainly did in testing. Uh, It took a lot of work to get right, um, but I'm glad we made the effort because it's very interesting and is going to change up how people approach uh, the several rounds before they enter engagement with their opponent. Speaking of things that um, change engagement with your opponent... I know one thing that I spotted in the Rebellion in the Rim upgrades that have been posted around is they have proximity mines. And I know Sabine was uh, one of the first cars that they that you guys uh, put on your website as far as like new officer upgrades. And she mentioned the proximity mines, but now we actually get an idea what they do. 
So how do you think that might be changing gameplay and objective choice? So uh, another common thread through the upgrades in Rebellion on the Rim is ways to not just have the board interact with you, like many of the objectives do, but to interact with the board and do things to it. So adding mines, uh, Corvus changing your deployment, um, uh, different ways to maneuver for ships that didn't have options like that before. So there's going to be a lot more interaction going on between players and the board state all the way through the game, not just in that critical round where the fleets start to engage. I will say I was very glad because we have Radis and we have Profundity that allow the Rebels to really play with their deployment boards. So I was, I was glad that the Imperials finally got a little something on that end as well. I think that's an interesting way to... Corvus is a really cool title, uh, a really cool art piece. Um, it's a great example of a way how a very simple ability in terms of the game mechanics can create a very engaging and complex situation on the table. Yeah, admittedly, once once that came out, I asked one of my locals, one of the other locals here, um, my locals, like, it is definitely my meta, <laughs> and I run oh, it. Oh, of course it's your meta. Um, but I asked one of the other I locals. I think you're biased. <laughs> uh, maybe. I just know that I rule it through him, so... Sure. All right. But yeah, I asked one of our uh, locals at Casual Game Night, and they said, yeah, sure, to get, give it a try. So I've, I put it on the table once or twice just as a, as a, in a friendly game, and it is really a lot of fun. And your opponent knows it's coming once they see you have Corvus, but there's still nothing quite like, oh, hey, my raider's uh, going flotilla hunting even harder now. The fact that it's going to yeah, move is telegraphed, but where it's going to move to, and it, it doesn't pose the same kind of threat that Radis deploying a large ship does. Absolutely, um, yeah. But it's still going to take away probably a round of maneuvering, and you're going to be able to get to grips with your opponent much faster by approaching from an angle that they have set up with less opportunity to respond to. Well, and it's such a... Um, I haven't played the Battlefront game, but for a special forces ship, it's such a thematic thing to just be where your opponent isn't expecting you to be. Yeah, I, I have played it. They make a number of precision hyperspace jumps uh, into and out of systems at precise times. Okay. And so we're uh, definitely trying to capture kind of the feel of both some expert special forces personnel and some very precise navigation. Yeah. Well, I think hopefully that'll be really playing out on the tabletop. Speaking of that, so when you're working on a new mechanic for a, an existing character... How how much do you try to make that mechanic for that ship or that character reflect what they would do in the universe? Uh, very much so. Um, I grew up watching Star Wars, playing, reading the X Wing novels. I I will be admit the X Wing novels were my like first love as far as Star Wars novels went. I'm a big fan of the Wraith Squadrons myself. Wraith Squadron was great. Uh, I read a lot of Back to War and Nizar's Revenge. Okay. So, but then, so yeah, so how much were you able, have you been able to kind of work those story influences into your game design? So one thing I've tried really hard to do is focus mechanics, especially for uh, characters and for ship titles, try to pick mechanics that reflect or make the player feel like they're connecting with the identity of that person or that vessel in, in the stories and the media. Um, so, good examples from Wave 8. Uh, Kirsta Agate, we have two versions of her. We have a commander version and an officer version. 
The officer version represents her before the assassination attempt against her, when she's sort of a mid-level commander in the Rebel Alliance, becoming the New Republic, rising through the ranks, uh, fighting hard to bring the Empire down after the Battle of Endor. And then the commander version of her is uh, much more determined to not just win, but bring an end to the war and the fighting. So a little more Battle of Jakku. Yes, the commander version is very much her at the Battle of Jakku um, and trying to finish the war, whatever it takes. Oh, cool. All right. So you're really, really trying, especially with with the characters, at least, to, to hit those points. Yeah. There are a lot of different game mechanics that exist that we could use, um, and why not try to match them up with characters who evoke those mechanics or mechanics that evoke those characters stories or personalities similarly commander beck a very harsh officer from some of the new novels with han solo so she's going to give you extra opportunities to resolve different commands but you are running your crew into the ground when you do it so you're going to gain raid tokens and those are going to hurt you down the road is she from the new like han solo comics or I haven't, I haven't run into her yet. So uh, sure. I believe it's Smuggler's Run she's from. Oh, okay. Um, and then there's also some comics involving her as well, I believe. Sure, I, I know I've been really diving into new Star Wars comics and, and media. I mean, there's so much media for Star Wars that you're never going to really be able to hit it all as much as, oh, no. as much time as you put in. But I, I do try to, to get what specifically I find interesting. So one of the great things about our department is most of us are avid Star Wars fans as well. Um, so you mentioned comic books. Uh, well, I'm not as big into comics, although I've started reading them some more. One of my coworkers, Gavin Duffy, who is the producer for Armada, kind of organizes the projects, makes sure everything's running according to the schedule. He is a very heavy comic book reader. I focus more on the novels. Sure. We frequently contact each other uh, either over the weekend or first thing Monday morning. Hey, look what I found in the latest episode of this or in the latest chapter of that that I read. Uh, I wonder if we could use this somewhere down the road. Oh, so sure. we're, so we're constantly scanning the media for, for new content. It's really fun. Just keeping a long list of characters. Like, oh, yes. Oh, who, who's coming next? Yep. All right. Well, Brooks, thanks so much for coming on. It was great having you having you on, getting to talk to you, ask you questions. Yes, it has been a great pleasure having you on here, Director Brooks. We do stand here amidst my achievements, and also yours, because the Armada community is such a great boon to the game and to everyone who's trying to get into it. Well, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to follow us on our Instagram at affm.official. And keep an eye out for us on thearmchairadventurers.com for future episodes. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.